Father God, there are battles that uh, are, are going on all around us. Your word says that there are some that are seen, but the real battle that we need to be aware of as Christ followers is a battle that's unseen. And Father, as we come to the end of this uh, series, I, I pray your blessing on those who are in here today who call themselves Christ followers. God, they're engaged in a war, they're engaged in a battle that sometimes they don't even know what has hit them. And Father, today as we open up your word, I pray that you would just give us an understanding of what we're supposed to do in this battle. Of the action that we're supposed to take. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would lead us in all wisdom and truth and understanding this morning. And Father God, pierce our hearts. May we be changed from the inside out. And God, God, I pray that when we leave here today, we can better understand and better know how to apply the tools that you've given us as Christ followers in the spiritual battle that we face of good versus evil. Help us to do that in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to two different passages. You can turn to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4 this morning. We're also going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. And so you can kind of put a place marker in both of those. Um, Our journey in this series has taken us kind of from the idea of uh, truth versus fiction. That was kind of the first week, and we discovered that the battle of truth versus fiction is a difficult battle because Satan takes, Satan takes what is truthful, what's from God's Word, and what he does is he sometimes just skews that a little bit or just twists it a little bit, and we have the tendency when we uh, hear those things that are false, that are not according to God's Word, we have a tendency to buy into them. And so there is a battle between truth and fiction. And we found out in week one that what we can do is we can surrender our minds to Christ. We've kind of had this theme of surrendering something in each of these battles, that there's something that we must lay down. We don't think of that in a battle. We don't think of laying a weapon down or laying something down. But in truly, in a spiritual battle, there's often something that we must surrender There must be something that we lay down, and so we discovered in week one that that's our minds. Last week, we discovered that the line between fantasy and reality is often blurred in the world. It's often uh, very hard to distinguish from what the world tells us the difference between fantasy and reality, and how that plays out often is in things like romance novels or pornography or the fantasy of a better life. And what we discovered last week is what Satan does in this world is he tries to give us, or he tries to communicate to us, the idea that we can have heaven here on earth, and it's just not true. We can't have heaven here on earth. And so we talked about the idea that we've got to surrender our desires to Christ. We have to surrender that thing which we think is pleasing and find out that the only way that we can truly be pleased in this life is to find our pleasure in God himself. Are you with me this morning? And so we discovered in week one and week two that there were a couple things that we need to surrender. We need to lay down. And for each of those battlegrounds, truth versus fiction, reality versus fantasy, we had kind of an offensive mindset, a bit of an offensive position. 
There were things that we talked about that we can do. We can take up the Word of God, and we talked about, and we'll talk about again today, that the Word of God is His Word to us, but it also John says that the Word of God is Jesus Christ Himself, and that we can take up the Word of God. We can kind of go into these battles knowing what the truth is, knowing what reality is, and be firmly planted there. We talked about these two battlegrounds and we kind of had this idea that in those two battlegrounds, truth versus fiction, reality versus fantasy, we kind of get there ourselves. We kind of bring ourselves to those battlegrounds. If we don't know God's word and we don't know the truth, then we're going to be swayed by fiction. We're going to be thrown off our game by fiction. If, we, if our feet aren't firmly planted in the reality of what God wants us to do here on earth and the fact that heaven is going to come one day for those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, that's going to happen one day, not now. When, when we do those things in those battles, we kind of come to those battles a bit by ourselves. But this last one that I want to talk about is quite different. Because what happens if you're a Christ follower in here this morning? You say, Todd, man, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. It was 20 years ago. Maybe it was two days ago. Whatever that looks like for you, the battle that we're going to talk about today, the battle of good versus evil, hits you when you're not even looking. It's not something that you go towards usually. It's something that you find yourself in. And really, I want you to capture this, you find yourself in from the beginning of your birth. It's only amplified once you become a Christ follower. That battleground of good versus evil gets amplified and gets more intense. And really, in a lot of ways, the battle of good versus evil is really thrust upon us. It's thrust upon us in, so, in some ways. Our position in the battleground of good versus evil, and this is going to sound strange to some of you, but in some ways our position in the battle of good versus evil is a defensive position. We have to kind of protect our ground. We've got to kind of be ready for the onslaught of that evil that's going to come our way. Now, some of you are like, okay, I, I, I hear that, and I, I, I kind of understand that, but like, what is the battle of good versus evil? Well, let me explain. From even before time, even before Adam and Eve, and even before God created the world, God was in heaven with the angels, and, and he gave them a certain amount of freedom, and there was one battle that was, uh, or there was one angel in particular who, who actually um, took the freedom that God gave him and he took advantage of it. And he was the fallen angel and he is the angel that we now call today Satan or we call him the devil. And so the battle of good versus evil has been going on for a very long time. Now that's, that whole, that's a whole message for some other time, probably a whole sermon series on what I just described. But suffice it to say that the battle of good versus evil has been going on since before the beginning of creation. That battle's been going on a long, long time. And so God gives what I like to call a, a moral freedom. He gave it even to the angels, and one of them fell. But you know, it's interesting because we go back to Genesis, and we read last week in Genesis 3 that God gives humanity a moral freedom. He did at the beginning of creation, didn't he? And what did we as humans do? We failed miserably, didn't we? Right there, right off the bat, in the Garden of Eden, Eve, it wasn't the guy who failed, it was the woman who failed, ladies. <laughs> 
I'm kidding. Don't email me about that. I'm just kidding, okay? Adam was very complicit in this, okay? And they failed, and all of a sudden, that moral freedom that God gave us, it was, it was totally undone. And all of a sudden, a world that God intended for us to live in here on earth was completely ruined because we took advantage of the freedom that God gave us. And you know what that is? You know what the bottom line of that is? It's sin. <laughs> it's sin. It just is what it is. Churches don't like to talk about that these days. They don't like to talk about sin. But the battle of good versus evil happens when we give in to sin. That battle is won by Satan every time you and I give in. And it hits us when we're not looking, doesn't it? It strikes us when we least expect it. Well, Satan and Jesus had this famous battle that we've kind of used as our springboard here in this series. And I want you to take a look at it one more time here today. Matthew 4. It's this familiar interaction between Satan and Jesus. And um, look how Jesus engaged in this battle. And look how it was a battle between good and evil. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, that's the Spirit of God, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, Jesus had been out in the desert, and verse 2 says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. We talked about the fact, and we'll talk about it again, that Satan kind of targets us when we're at our worst, doesn't he? He targets us when we're tired and when we're hungry, and that's what he tried to do with Jesus. Verse 3, the tempter came to him, and he said, if you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. I think it's really interesting that Satan tempted Jesus with the most unholy thing in the most holy place. Isn't that really interesting? How many of you had arguments coming in here today on your way to church, okay? Um, and, no, don't put, put your hands down. Okay. That'll be a bad lunch if you raise your hand on that one. Okay, so the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Nice one. I like that response, don't you? That's great. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. And I love Jesus' response again in verse 10. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him what? Only. Only. Jesus stood his ground. Jesus stood his ground. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him, attended Jesus we have this battle between good and evil. But you know, here's the thing. Since the beginning of time, this battle's been going on, and we see it played out in its most vivid image there in Matthew 4. But you know what? This was Jesus. This was the divine son of the living God who was battling Satan. So I think we can say he had an advantage, didn't he? He had an advantage over us. We've got to face that fact that this is a great example of the fact that evil exists. It's a great uh, example of the fact that we do face a spiritual battle, but we are not divine. He was all God and all man. I know some of you may 
think of yourselves maybe that way, but you're all man, okay? You're all human. You are all human, and you're faced with the weakness that humans have. And so what do we do? How in the world do we face this battle? I, I have a few things that I look back on my life almost 40 years now and say I wish I had done. At the top of that list is I wish that I'd served in the military. I, those of you who served in the military, thank you for your service. Thank you very much for your service. I know it's not Memorial Day, you know, it's, it's not Fourth of July, but thank you for your service. I wish that I had done that. That's the greatest sacrifice. Jesus even said that the greatest sacrifice is um, to give up your life for a friend. And those of you who went to war and served, you did that. And so I, I, because I didn't serve in the military, I might sound a bit ignorant talking about these things, but I, I did get some help this week. And a, a few of you I emailed and made some phone calls to and asked for a little bit of help. So um, th this is pretty interesting to me, and it's a little bit new to me. So bear with me if you're in the military. Don't snicker if I get these words wrong, okay? There is so much in the military that centers around being prepared for battle. There's so much. There's a huge amount of importance. There's a, uh, just a, a, an extraordinary amount of importance that people who are in the military and soldiers place in getting prepared for battle. There are PCCs, pre-combat checks, or pre-combat inspections, and they're conducted on a regular basis in the battlefield before a soldier goes out into combat they check the weapon systems. They check the ammunition. There's a, maybe a, a mission that's specific, and they check the equipment, such as parachutes and demolition, demolition gear, if that's a particular mission. There's another way that they check. Units will prepare for a mission-specific combat by actually rehearsing that mission prior to its actual start. It begins with a briefing by that unit's commander, a map or a terrain model is used in rehearsal. And then lastly, there's an actual, sometimes a full-scale mock-up rehearsal that takes place to prepare that unit or those soldiers for battle. There's another level of preparedness, and it's the emotional preparedness that a soldier goes through, through to prepare himself or herself for the battlefield. And sometimes that takes on a spiritual aspect as well. Military preparedness is essential for successful missions. And the same is true, please catch this if you're a Christ follower, the same is true for the battlefield that you are going to face, that you are going to face if you call yourselves a Christ follower. Church, we have got to be prepared for the battle that we will face. We must be ready for the battle that is going to come our way in the battle of good versus evil. So I thought in kind of wrapping up the series today that we would kind of do our own PCC, our own pre-combat check in terms of our readiness to take on the enemy. And Ephesians 6 gives us a great blueprint for that. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians 6. We're going to be spending the rest of our time in Ephesians 6 this morning. Now, for some of you, this may be an extremely familiar passage. For others of you, this may be brand new. And I hope to explain it in, in kind of bite-sized pieces so that you can uh, be prepared for that battle when it comes, not if it comes, but when it comes. So let's read through, and then we're going to take and learn seven different ways that we can be prepared for the battle. Finally, Paul says, this is the Apostle Paul, the author of most of the New Testament, one of the early church fathers. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can take stand against the devil's schemes. He says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of what? Evil, evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, he says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, notice that he didn't say, if the day of evil comes. It's going to come, okay? So when the day of evil comes, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. And then in verse 14, he says, stand firm. He uses that word three times in as many sentences. Stand strong. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, he says in verse 16, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the what? Word of God. And pray, he says in verse 18, in the spirit on all occasions with all kind of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. I don't know about you, just reading that like gets me fired up, man. I'm like, you know, let's go. Come on. Let's do this thing. That is great. It's, it's a great metaphor. It's a great analogy for what we deal with on a regular basis. And that is, is that there is a battle that goes on that we need to be prepared for between good and evil. You can take a look at your notes this morning. How do we prepare ourselves for the battle between good and evil. Number one, surround your life with the truth. Surround your life with the truth, which is God's word. Verse 14, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, the importance of the belt in, in military uh, uh, history has changed over the years. Uh, back in the first century, it was vitally important. It held the, 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 the soldier's uniform or his uh, combat kit together, literally. Um, without the belt, um, well, anyway, without the belt, things would have been off the soldier, okay? So it literally held everything together, but it also was a place that he could hold his weapons. And so it was a place that he could hold his weapons. And so it was vitally important through the years. It's kind of changed, and uh, you know, now we, we kind of have the Kevlar vests that hold a lot of those things. But, but what Paul is trying to communicate here is that the Word of God ought to surround us because, because it is the thing that will hold us together in the fight. It is the thing that will hold us together in the battle of good versus evil. If we don't have this in our lives, if we don't understand God's word, if we don't have some of it at least memorized, if we don't dig in and study and try to research what God is trying to say to us, we are set up for failure. And so Paul says, Paul says, surround yourself with the word of God. That belt in the first century was essential. They had to have the belt in, in military combat. And so he says, surround yourself with the word of God. But I want you to catch this. Having the word of God, 
Just having it isn't enough. And that leads me to the second point this morning. Guard your heart by living the truth of God's word. Guard your heart by living the truth of God's word. Ephesians 6.14, the second part of that is he says, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. But then he goes to the breastplate of righteousness. And he says, stand firm with the breastplate of righteousness in place. You know, the, the vital organs of the human body are, are contained behind the chest cavity, right? I mean, that's where the heart is. That's where the lungs are. That's where the pulmonary system is. All of our uh, essential and vital organs are, are, are held right here. And to take a direct hit without any kind of guard will absolutely, absolutely uh, lead to certain death. It's lethal. And so Paul says, take that breastplate of righteousness, Satan wants to trip us up by causing us to get involved in a lifestyle that's not according to God's word. He wants to trip us up and make us think that we can stray from what God tells us to do, that we can dabble in sin and still be righteous. He tells us the lie that we can be involved in sin and be holy people. But Paul tells us that we ought to be prepared with the breastplate of righteousness. I don't know about you, but Satan targets me when my guard is down. When I am tired, he targets me. When I'm sick, I'm more susceptible. When I have been away from God for a few days or weeks, I'm really vulnerable. And Satan will target you, and he will target your most vital place, your heart, the thing that gives life to you, He'll target your, your ver the very uh, essence of your journey with Christ. And so we have to guard our hearts. You know, it's interesting. Proverbs tells us that. Proverbs tells us that we need to guard our hearts. Paul just gives us the way that we need to do that, and it's with righteous living. And you know what? I don't know about you. I can't live right apart from the Word of God. I can't. I have nothing in me that can live right apart from the Word of God. I have to have this applied to my life, not just surrounding me, but also applied to my life. And when we do that, we're more prepared to go to battle. We've got to guard our hearts or we will be ineffective for the kingdom of God. But there's a third thing that we must do to prepare ourselves for the battle between good and evil, and it's this. Declare the path of your life with a clear message of peace. Declare the path of your life with a clear message of peace. Now, for those of you who are like, Todd, I'm good with the belt. Got that taken care of. I know the word of God. It surrounds me. I've got it on my mirror in the morning and on my car, and I've got it written everywhere. I'm, I'm cool with that. And then there's some of you who are like, I got the righteousness thing down, man. I, I, I've applied the word of God to my life. That's awesome. But those of you who have those two things down, the way that Satan will try to trip you up is in this third area, and he targets the feet. Now, I want you to capture this. Paul says this in 15, in verse 15, and he says, stand firm and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Back in the first century, one of the most dangerous things for a soldier was the ground itself. Just the natural traps of the ground would cause a soldier to be ineffective. And so the enemy would pick up on this, and you know what they would do? They would go out into the battlefield, and they would dig holes that were filled with things that they would trap animals with, 
with briars and thistles, and they would put the strongest metal that they could find down there, and it would render a soldier completely ineffective unless that soldier had on a strong boot and, and a thing that really was kind of the modern-day equivalent to a shin guard. Back in the, in the first century, they wore these things that were made out of metal or sometimes brass and sometimes gold that went all the way from the boot all the way up to the knee, and it protected basically their whole leg. I, I played soccer in high school. I, I found out very quickly that you can't play soccer without shin guards. <laughs> it hurts, and it puts you on the ground. And so back in the first century, the enemy would plant things in the ground. You see, Satan wants to trip us up. I want you to catch, catch this. He wants to trip us up by thinking that we can do something else with our lives, that we can have some other message other than the gospel of peace that we communicate. And, and that's tripping us up. That's tripping us up on the way that we, uh, the, the way that we live our lives for the gospel, which is a word that means the good news of Jesus Christ. If he can trick us into believing that our message is something else, he's got us. And so Paul says, be careful of that. Have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And so we've got to be careful not to be tripped up by the ground because that's another place that Satan will get us. Number four, defend your spiritual life with unwavering trust and faith in God. Defend your spiritual life with unwavering trust and faith in God. This one is extremely difficult. Because I think that this one drives at the fact that we all have things that happen that are disappointing to us. I have two friends that I found out this week that they just found out that their spouses have cancer. Some of you have had those phone calls, and it's horrible. Some of you have had relationships that have broken up like this that you are absolutely shocked that it broke up. Some of you have had news even in the last month, maybe it's financial, maybe it's about a job, that you are just completely shocked by. And the things of this world, those things that come in that we can't help, that we are really victims of, you know what? Those things Satan will use to uh, uh, try to trip us up in terms of our faith in God. You know what it means to defend your spiritual life with unwavering trust? and faith in God, it means this. You can bend, but don't break. You can bend, but don't break. All the way back in the Old Testament, Job lost everything he had in a matter of moments. And God said this was a man that was more righteous than anyone else on earth. And he lost everything in a matter of moments. And then he went to his friends, and they made things worse. And then he went to his wife, and she made things worse. She said, curse God and die. But Job, even though he questioned God, never cursed God. He never wavered in his faith. And that's what Paul's talking about here. To be ready for the battle, we've got to be so strong in our faith that, man, we may be disappointed. It's okay to be disappointed with circumstances. It's okay to even be, be upset and angry about circumstances. Who couldn't be angry when a little child gets cancer? But it means that we bend but we don't break in terms of our faith and our trust in God. And that leads us to number five. Be confident that your salvation is secure. Be confident that your salvation 
is a cure. Once again, we see a decisively defensive tool, the helmet of salvation in verse 17. Paul says, take the helmet of salvation, protecting our thoughts. Some of you were were saved years ago. Some of you were like, you know, man, I, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior years ago. And every time you hear the gospel, you raise your hand again. Guess what? The first time was good enough. Because the Bible is very, very clear on this. Once you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are saved. You're going to heaven. Once you confess of your sins, accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you really, truly believe in Him, you're going to heaven. It's that relationship, that covenant that God established with us, and and you don't have to raise your hand again and again and again. I remember our first Sunday as a church nearly five years ago. Actually, I think it was our second Sunday. And and I gave a gospel invitation, and nobody raised their hand. I had a guy in the back, and he raised his hand. And it kind of surprised me. So I went up to him afterwards. I said, hey, I I didn't know. And he goes, man, I just felt sorry for you because nobody was raising their hands. (laughs) Church... (laughs) We have to be confident that our salvation is secure. That once you've asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you're going to heaven. You're going to heaven. Satan will try to trip you up when you begin to doubt that that's true. Are you with me this morning? Six, trust that Jesus is fighting the enemy on your behalf. Man, this is my favorite one right here. This is my favorite one. Look at the second half of that verse. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, some people take the first part of that. They say the sword of the Spirit, and they think offensive. But then, it, what does the second half say? That the sword of the Spirit is the what? The Word of God. You see, I want you to capture this. Our responsibility in the fight of good versus evil is to stand strong to be defensive. But the Word of God, as we explained a few weeks ago and again earlier this morning, is the Word of God, the words of God, but it is also Jesus Christ. We have to stand behind Jesus Christ. That's the sword of the Spirit. We've got to stand behind Him. The Bible says that He is the mighty fortress, that He is the shelter, and we've got to stand firmly, ready to defend, but He is the offense. Are you with me? That may be different. It may be completely uh, different than maybe you grew up in. And, and, and some of you are, are, are trying to fight the battle yourself. There's a wide extreme of approaches and a wide extreme of backgrounds. But I believe what Paul is tr- trying to tell us here in, in point number six and, and there in, in verse uh, 17 is that we've got to stand strong behind the person of Jesus Christ. I, I want you to hear this. This may be freeing for some of you. He is the one who's victorious in the battle of good versus evil. He's the one that's victorious. It's not us. We're part of it. We play a huge part of it, and we've got to be solid on our feet with the word of God. But you know what? We can stand behind him because he is the one who will win. Jesus is our only offensive weapon that will win the war for us. And when we waver on Jesus, we've lost. When we waver on Jesus, we've lost. And finally, the seventh thing that we need to do to be prepared is to stay alert by being in constant communication with God. Stay alert by being in constant communication with God. Paul goes on to talk about prayer in the next like three or four verses. 
Verse 18 is where he kicks it off. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kind of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, he says. Always keep on praying for the Lord's people. I told you I've never been in the military. I've never served on a battlefield. But I've worked in teams, and I know this. Communication is essential, isn't it? Being in touch with the captain is absolutely essential. And we have a captain who wants to talk with us. We have a captain that the Bible says in Jesus, the the word of God says Jesus prays on our behalf for us. Man, that's awesome. Because I don't know a better prayer warrior than Jesus. He prays on our behalf. And so for some of you, it means being prepared for the battle means that you stay in constant communication with God the Father. And by the way, Paul says there's no limit of what we can pray about. On Sunday mornings here in a few weeks, we're going to begin to pray before the service starts. There's a team of people led by Frank Condor who want to uh, kind of uh, uh, lead us in that battle here and pray for what goes on here Sunday morning and again, again throughout the week. And if you're interested in that, in that connection card, just write prayer and we'll give your name to Frank and he will be in touch with you and let you know when and where you can be here. We're in a, we're in a battle. It's a, it's a battle between good and evil. C.S. Lewis talked about this. I, I, I gave you this quote a few weeks ago, and I wanted to bring it up again because I thought it was so important. He says, we're either overly obsessed with Satan or ignorant of, him, ignorant of him, and both are dangerous. You know where the middle ground lies in the battle of good versus evil? It's standing strong on the word of God and standing behind the person of Jesus and allowing him to battle on your behalf. So for some of you today, what you need to give up, what you need to surrender, is the victory. I didn't say the battle. We play an important role in the battle. I said the victory. Some of you need to surrender the victory to Jesus Christ himself. Allow him to fight on your behalf. Some of you who who came from maybe a, a, a church background where you just ran into the battle, some of you even even say, you know, prayers to Satan. Y'all, that's dangerous. We ought to be praying to God the Father, and we ought to use Jesus Christ's name in our defense. The Word of God says that His name, just by His name, there's power in His name. That's why you hear me often say, in the strong name of Jesus, because He is our defender. He is our shield. It's our key point here this morning. Our job is to stand strong and allow Jesus to battle the enemy on our behalf. Allow Jesus to battle the enemy on our behalf. We've got to stand strong. We've got to be prepared. That's our part. But you know what? We've got to stand strong behind Jesus Christ who fights on our behalf. Church, we've got to be prepared. We've got to be ready. Years ago, National Geographic ran an article about the Alaskan bull moose. And I think it's a lesson that we can learn in that article about the Alaskan bull moose. The male of the species battles for dominance during the fall breeding season. They literally go head-to-head with antlers crunching together as they collide. Often their antlers in the crunching together, uh, crashing together, they're only weapons. Sometimes those antlers are broken, and that ensures defeat. The heftiest moose with the largest and strongest antlers, he is the one who triumphs. 
Therefore, the battle fought in the fall is really won during the summer when the moose eat continually. The one that consumes the best diet for growing antlers and gaining weight will be the heavyweight in the fight. Those that eat inadequately sport weaker antlers and less bulk. I want you to hear something, Christ follower. In the spiritual battle that awaits you, Satan will choose a season to attack. And we have to be prepared. We got to be ready. We've got to be ready. We've got to know the word of God and we've got to stand strong that Jesus is fighting on our behalf. Father God, I pray that you would help us to understand what this means. Each person in here is going to apply this in a different way. And Father God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would help us to understand what that means for us individually. And God, I pray for those who are in here today and they're engaged in a battle that seems like it cannot be won. Father God, I pray that you would give them the confidence to know that they can stand strong behind you. Help us, Father God, to understand your word and help us to have a passion for your word. Just like we have a passion for college football this time of year. Oh God, help us to have our passions solidly rooted in you and your word and what you've done for us. Help us to have avenues to discover your word. Help us to get involved with life groups that will be kicking off here in September to discover your word with other people. Help us to exercise that by serving others. God, most of all, I pray that you would help us to be prepared for the battle that awaits. Help us to do that in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.